Hey there, welcome to the Inclusion Solution Live. I am your season six host, Marisha Reese, and this season is from Empower to Me Power, BIPOC Leadership Conversations. I'm so happy to have you here on this journey with me. In case you missed it, this season we're talking about some of the unique challenges that BIPOC leaders face, especially in dominant group spaces, and how they use their innate power, that me power, to thrive. I am so excited today to welcome my guest, Minda Hartz. Minda is the best-selling and award-winning author of the memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table, as well as Right Within, How to Heal from Racial Trauma in Workplace, and her first young adult book, You Are More Than Magic. She is a highly sought-after speaker and thought leader, frequently presenting on the topics of advancing women of color, leadership, diversity, and management at companies like Nike, Google, JP Morgan, Aspen Ideas Festival, Dreamforce, the Atlantic Festival, Forbes Inclusion in the Workplace, and DraftKings, to name a few. Minda is also an assistant professor of public service at NYU's Robert F. Wagner Graduate School of Public Service and the founder of The Memo LLC, a career development company. In 2020, Minda was named by LinkedIn as the number one top voice for equity in the workplace. And in 2022, she was named by Business Insider as the top 100 people transforming business. She has a weekly career podcast for women of color titled Secure the Seat. Welcome to the show, Minda. Thank you, Marisha. Happy to be here. Thank you. So by way of further introduction, those that have listened to this season so far know that I like to start with I am statements. So we often use that at the Winters Group to highlight our intersecting identities and the lived experiences we bring into the conversation. So I will first model it, and then Minda, I will invite you to introduce yourself in a similar way. So I am a Black, cisgender, able-bodied woman, a zenial, so I am at the cusp of millennial and Gen X. I probably lead, lean more Gen X, I would say. Um, I'm an introvert. I'm a wife, a daughter, a sister, a dog mom, and a current Southerner, Southeast um, U.S., but was born and raised in the Northeast. So Minda, I invite you to also share with our listeners your I am statement. Thank you. Um, I am a eldest of three. <laughs> I am the only girl. I am still a dog mom, even though my baby transitioned almost two months ago. I still oh, identify wow. as a fur baby <laughs> mother. I am a West Coaster, but also a transplant out of the East Coast. And I am an optimist, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Minda. And sorry about your fur baby loss. Um, very Thank much you. here at the Winters Group, we're very much animal people. So definitely sorry for us to hear about that. So let's get into some of these questions. So you did share a little bit about who you are and some of your um, identities and what you're bringing into the conversation today, but. If you don't mind, could you share a little bit more about your story, your background experience, and how it led you to the work that you do today? Yes. Um, you know, it's funny, Marisha, I think about, you know, the question that you asked about identities and where we sit. And 
uh, almost five years ago, I was sitting in a whole different career, <laughs> you know? So the idea that we are the curators of our own careers and we do have the power to, to transform it at any time. Um, up until uh, five years ago, almost, I was in corporate America. I That was the path I was on and I was always the only. And if you've ever been the only of anything, then many of us know that that can be very isolating. And But as a first-generation college student, first person in my family to enter into corporate America, I didn't know what I didn't know, right? And so mm -hmm. I was just kind of happy to be here, you know, come from very humble beginnings. And so um, I started to, you know, accept certain behaviors and treatments inside the workplace because I thought that that's what I had to do just to mm -hmm. get along, right? Um, many of us are position to believe that we work in a meritocracy, uh, that if you do the work, you get the things, right? But I realized that there was a lot more involved to that. So longer story short, you know, about midway through my career, I started to think about, you know, what would it look like to thrive in the workplace? And what could it look like where everybody um, gets to do their best work and be their best selves? And it really led me on this self-discovery path on um, how do we make the workplace work for people who look like me or identify, you know, uh, on the margins? And so I started to do this, you know, advocacy work around um, the advancement of black and brown women, women of color in the workplace. And I created a career blog. Now I'm dating myself right back in <laughs> 2015. And eventually that work just created this space for in addition to, you know, others who have been speaking about equity in the workplace, just a space for us to say, hey, we might work at the same place, but our experiences aren't always the same. And so through the, the blog, then speaking and books, and if you would have asked me when I cried in the car in 2014 about, oh my God, am I going to make it to, to retirement here at this place? <laughs> I would have never uh, envisioned that I would be, you know, sitting here with you. But again, um, you know, our, our voices are tied to someone else's freedom. And that's what I realized um, was part of my story. Even I also identify as an introvert, but mm -hmm. I realized that I still had a voice to share. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So you mentioned the books. I mentioned that in the intro. Um, so the memo and write within in particular, um, were, you know, definitely successes for you and have helped inspire BIPOC women to survive and thrive in a dominant culture workspace. So I imagine what you just shared, some of that led to you writing these books and some of that experience. So can you share a little more with um, with us just like how, why you felt the need to write those books and share um, share that with with your audiences? Yeah, you know, it, it was part of this idea of what would it look like to thrive at work and what would it look like to use our voice? I think many of us who, you know, identify as black or brown or anyone who feels like, you know, marginalized inside the workplace, we often are told just work hard and keep your head down, right? Mm -hmm. But dignity, humanity, equity, and respect should be table stakes for each and every one of us. <laughs> we should have that. That should be you know, on the table. And I started to realize that my voice was silenced. My experiences were silenced and I wasn't being treated the same way as some of my counterparts were. And so eventually it led to, well, you know, a deterioration in my mental health. You know, I started to get anxiety in the workplace, depression, and I uh, just didn't recognize myself as that bubbly young girl that entered into corporate America years before. And a lot of it was based off of race and, and identity and, and just 
people dismissing my claims of claims of inequality and not having a space to be able to talk about it and just trying to you know push through and eventually i started to interrogate and investigate what would it look like to talk about these things and i around the time period i was reading this very popular book called lean in by Sheryl mm -hmm. sandberg and you know my office had got all the women in in the office the book we were reading it together and it was like the hundredth book that i had read that did not talk about the experiences of women of color and i thought mm -hmm. well this is great, but what about us? You know, who's talking about our experiences, even as women were experiencing the workplace differently. And so um, that led me to say, you know what, I'm gonna start writing just this newsletter about the experiences that I'm experiencing, more of a therapeutic because I felt like I was suffering in silence because I didn't have others that looked like me or affirmed me in the environment. I didn't know if, you know, and at that time, Marisha, you, you know this too, we didn't have these fancy words like, micro and macroaggressions, right? right? You just knew <laughs> you, you just knew that you were experiencing uh, disrespect and inequity, but you might not have been able to articulate it. And so through my writing, I just started to do that and eventually realized that, you know, two things can be true at the same time. There are many people who will never experience the things that I'm talking about or that we talk about, but there are people who experience them every day. So how are we going to uh -huh. remove these barriers for people? And so writing the memo, uh, was really monumental for me because it really took all of these different experiences and put it in a book format so that people who look like me could say, wow, I'm not making this up, right? Be affirmed, right. but also not just this woe is me <laughs> singing the song, but how do we move, right? Yeah. I belong in every room I enter, but not every room deserves to have me. And we need to be reminded of those things. And so um, it led to writing the memo and then uh, the next book right within is how do you heal from all of the mm -hmm. inequity that you've experienced over the years? Thank you. Thank you so much for um, for sharing that. I want to um, jump a little to, so um, you're aware that the Winners Group, we are um, have our Empowerment Institute and that is um, specific for BIPOC leadership. So it could be for emerging leaders or those already in leadership. And I'm sure that you're familiar with the work that you've done or just your own experiences of leadership development programs, right? So that's popular. And so for ours, you know, we're specifically focusing on BIPOC individuals going through. So hearing what you said um, and just like going, going a little deeper in, right? There's, we're in these, uh, oftentimes we as BIPOC individuals are in these dominant culture spaces where we don't feel like, I remember you started saying you know, um, it feels isolating sometimes being the only, or um, you start to accept behaviors <laughs> that you get, right? The treat you like think, well, I guess this is how it's supposed to be. Um, or you just, or you know it's not supposed to be, but it's kind of like, well, where else am I gonna go, right? I need the job, I need these different things. And so, and then when you're in the spaces, you probably, folks feel like, are they, are they being developed? Are they not? Or if I, I can be in this development program, but if I'm the only one that looks like me, how is this, you know, is it really for me? So my question for you is kind of, why do you think focusing specifically on BIPOC leadership development is important? And then a further question is just, what responsibility do you think organizations have to be intentional about developing BIPOC talent? Yeah, no, I, I love that you all have this institute because it's, it's so important. Um, if there was equity in the workplace, then we wouldn't need the work that any of us do. Right. right. <laughs> so, um, and we know through just uh, fact uh, is that 
a lot of diversity programs, some states are trying to eliminate them or have eliminated them. And so if we are already not represented at the highest levels of leadership equitably, then what do you think eliminating those programs are going to do? It's not going to help it, right? It's only going to potentially hurt it. And so it's really important that we look at who has been underrepresented in leadership and we should invest those resources. It's yes and. It doesn't mean that um, when I was younger, Marisha, my, we used to go to my grandmother's house on Sundays for dinner and uh, she would have this very tiny table. And I would often wonder as like four or five year old, like, why do we always come to granny's house and how can we all eat at this really tiny table? And then like magic, my uncles would pull the table out and then put a plank in. I don't know if you remember those yeah. tables. <laughs> and all of a sudden we had this very long like family style table. And that is how I feel the workplace should work. For so long, we've had just a small mm. table with just a few chairs and it boxes other people out. But if we think about how do we expand the table? Doesn't mean that someone's chair gets taken. This isn't musical chairs. We're just saying, how do we expand the table to provide resources and access so that everybody gets to have a good meal, right? And I think that's the important uh, part of having leadership development uh, for, you know, BIPOC, people of color, anyone who, uh, you know, LGBTQ, if you look at whoever is not being represented, how do we provide them the resources? Because that's also helps with retention. That also helps with potential recruitment later down the line. And I think it's, as we all know, it's just good for business. So the responsibility of any company should be to provide dignity, humanity, respect to every employee. Uh, and also the other part of this is building trust, right? If you uh -huh. say that diversity is important, then we have to demonstrate that too. And I think that is having programs like these or having speakers, um, you know, come in during, you know, times of the year is important because it's demonstrating that this is important. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, with the work at the Winters Group, we often hear from leaders, right? So you talked about at the, top, at the top, leaders at the top, we mainly see, you know, white male um, leadership. And then, you know, we, when our clients come and working with them on diversity and inclusion and, you know, increasing representation and all these things. They're like, well, we can't find any, you know, diverse or BIPOC candidates to fill these leadership roles. And I'm sure you've heard the same. So what do you think, what do you, how do you respond when you hear statements like that? Uh, it's laughable actually, because it's like, well, where are you looking, right? Oh you know, goodness. if you're only looking in the, going to the same pool, of course, you're always going to get the same class. Right? And so right. we have to be, going back to the word intentional, how are we intentionally looking for diverse candidates? If you only go, you know, I had a gentleman I was talking to who was, who was a friend of mine and he was patting himself on the back saying, oh, Minda, we hired the most women this year and um, that we've ever had in the past. And I said, well, that you know, that's great. I'm calling Chuck. Chuck, you know, that's great. <laughs> and I said, but how many of those women were women of color? And he's like, oh, well, none. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, he's like, well, you know, I just tapped into the pool that the recruiter brought to me. I said, well, now the next time that you go and recruit, you need to partner with a, um, a company who has diverse candidates because it's not enough. Right. And, you know, and he, hadn't, he hadn't even considered what that looked like, what that looks like. Right. And so we have to go deeper when we talk about diversity. It's not just the obvious things, right? The visible things, but it's also those invisible, th invisible things. And so I think that, um, again, it's great that more women are represented, but 
what women are we talking about? What mm-hmm. people are we talking about? And I think we constantly as leaders um, have to ask our question, ask ourselves the, you know, the hard question sometimes is, are we being equitable? Doesn't mean, you know, I don't think he did it intentionally, but he wasn't thinking about it. Right. And so it's important that we have these conversations to really think about where are the spots that we're missing. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, and sometimes you think for us, it seems so obvious. Like, yeah, you, if you go to the same place or the same, you know, your, your buddies or whomever they are referring, you're, you're going to get the same talent. And it's just like, you know, for us, like, yeah, just go to an HBC or go to this or go to, you know, and it's, oh, really? Like, it's such rocky, like, like, and it's like, okay, we're, but sometimes you have to get that basic with folks. And that's, um, unfortunate, especially in 2023. And then as you shared earlier, as they're they're trying to strip that stuff away, it's going to even be more important to like, you know, point these things out and pay attention. Um, So thank you for for sharing that. And so um, you've said that, you know, success is not a solo sport. We need disruptors, partners, co-conspirators to help us pave the way for others to recognize our power. So how do you, how do you, um, recommend or suggest to folks that they identify these allies um and what are some examples that they can they can ask ask them to do to um help disrupt and partner and you know um to recognize their their power yeah i love this question so much because um again none of us can solve these inequities inside the workplace alone that's Mm -hmm. why i say success is not a solo sport because it takes each and every one of us doing our part. Um, and we have to ask ourselves, what what part do we wanna play, right? And, and make sure that somebody is a beneficiary of that. Whenever I'm doing trainings, and sometimes I'll do these allyship trainings, and you know, I'll ask the question, how many people see themselves as allies, right? And pretty much 99.9% of the room, right? Well, Anne, raise their hand, Marisha, but I'll say, okay, here's the second question. How many people are benefiting from your allyship? <laughs> okay, right. Because that's a different question. Yeah. That's a different answer. And then those hands kind of come down, right? Because it's not enough to just say it if nobody's benefiting from the action, right? That right. active, passive to active. And so I think it's really important for us to be clear about what it is we need, right? So even when we feel like we're defeated in these ways, you know, like some of these initiatives that are coming down with, you know, taking funding away, we have to still articulate our value, quantify our worth, remind people that this is still important, right? So that's one thing that we can't give up on equity ever. But then number two, those who do can are in positions of privilege and power, they have to be the voice in the room when there is no one else that's able to articulate that, right? And when there are budgets to say, you know what, we actually, in order to get to our finish line, we can't strip away these things, we have to continue to invest. And so I think Part of it, again, is the intentionality to say that um, equity is not nice to have. Equity can't just be optional. It has to be mandatory. And so what are we doing to embed equity in every part of the business, not just the asterisks, right? So from the entire employee journey, that's where it should be. And when we embed that from the first time someone even comes on the website and clicks the About Us page, they should feel that sense yes. of belonging, right? Till till the exit interview when they leave, every piece should be part of that. And and I just hope through, you know, the conversations that you're having and that we're having today that people, you know, they're curious. They'll be more curious to to say, you know what, 
there's everyday acts of courage that we can do to make sure that we're not harming people, but we're removing barriers. Yeah. And I love how you said that. And every piece of that employee life cycle, all the, the equity, you know, is embedded all the way through. Um, and, you know, I think about, you know, back to the program that we have and, you know, we're focusing on BIPOC leadership and I love it and I, it's needed, right? It's neat, like that space where you have folks that look like you, even to your point, right? You talked about how you realize you're reading these books about, you know, women or you didn't see yourself in it, right? You didn't see yourself. And so that's one of our goals. We want folks to be able to see themselves be able to share with others who might have similar experiences, right? Be able to like just take off the mass, right? Take off the weight and just be in those spaces. But I often, um, with that, they still have to go back to the spaces, right? And so in some of what you're talking about, it's like, so, and right now we're, we do, obviously we, you do training with, with leaders, we do training with leaders, but our program isn't focused on them, but it's still, it's important that they recognize too. It's like, okay, yes, I'm sending my I may be sending my employee here, but what is my role too to make sure once they come back, they're able to thrive? And that's some of what you know you're sharing too. Is just like the leadership has to start to realize this and understand, you know, what their role is in in all of this as well. So that's not really a question; it's just kind of share. So, but if you had any more to add, you can um, as well. But I just wanted to to lift that up that you know it's not always like we it's not always just on us as BIPOC individuals, right? We have to, you know, others that are listening, you know, what is your role? What, do you, what are the things that you can do? Like you just said, it takes, I mean, small acts every day that you could do to um, commit to equity in, in the workplace. Yeah, I love that, Marisha. The only thing I would add to that is, you know, I know some, some leaders will be watching and even, you know, some of us who might identify similarly, we also make mistakes in the workplace, yeah. right? And so we're going to make mistakes. And so when we do make those mistakes, we have to recommit to equity. Right. Right? And right. I think that's yeah. sometimes gets in the way of people. They're like, oh, I made a mistake. So now I'm going to go bury my head in the sand. No, right. equity <laughs> is recommitting, not avoiding yeah. that person that you butchered their name last week. And all, you know what I mean? It's, it's right. saying, hey, I recommit to humanity. And that's what we're talking about is humanity at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. So you notice that, you know, this season is empower to me power. So, you know, when we think about empower and empowerment, it's someone giving you the power, right? Like, and so we switched it around to me power because it's like, you know, we're taking back our power. We decide, you know, kind of <laughs> the power. We're not going to wait for somebody to give it to us. And so I know that you've also written about just that power that comes from like, advocating for yourself and finding that strength when you ask for more and speak up. And so what, um, do you have any tips for our listeners about doing that well? So speaking up, advocating for yourself, using your power and, um, you know, what's worked for you, for example? Yeah, I, I love this because, you know, we can talk about, and we should, and we will continue to talk about what everyone else can do, right? But what part of the equation can we solve, right? Like I can't yeah. control if, Bob and Kim go to unconscious bias training cl class or not. <laughs> I can't control yeah. how they're going to respond, but I can control how I show up for me. I can control how I'm advocating. And, you know, self-advocacy, in, in my opinion, 
is part of self-care, is part of well-being. If we're not activating our voices inside the workplace, then our colleagues, our managers, the leaders, they don't know what we need because unfortunately they don't go around with a magic eight ball and say, what is it that Minda and Marisha need all day? (laughs) If you you have a, a leader or manager like that, then you're winning, right? But not everybody is gonna gonna have that. So, you know, so it's part part of our privilege, part of our you know democratizing workplace is saying what we need, right? Or advocating when things aren't working well, advocating when they are. You know, I like this project. I'd love more of that, right? Or you know, just different things in that mm-hmm. in those ways. And the other part is not shying away from those difficult conversations, saying what we mean without saying it mean, right? Other colleagues of ours get to to raise pure heck when the printer paper is out, right? There's no more coffee filters, but why can't we use our voice to say when inequity, true inequity is taking place, you know, in our lives. And so people can't help you if they don't know how, and we can't conquer what we're not willing to confront. And so I think part of it, again, is realizing that, to your point, the me power, we get to take that power back. We don't have to wait for permission to use it. Um, And part of that is your employee brand, right? You know, when I was in my former life, Marisha, I had a manager who used to tell me, oh, you're a utility player, Minda. And at first I would say, oh, yeah, I could play any role. And then I started to think, wait a second. I don't want to be branded as a utility player. I don't want you to just put me anywhere and know that I'm going to get the job done. I have to do some rebranding. I have to advocate for myself so that he's intentionally thinking about where to place me and where my career is going to go, right? I couldn't leave that in the hands of someone else. And so I just want us to, you know, as we continue to think about what our goals are, short-term, long-term, is that we hold more power than we think. Yeah, I love that. We hold more power than we think. And I love that um, you said self-advocacy is a part of self-care. I really love that too. Um, Minda, so we talked about your other books, The Memo and Write Within, and we've been talking a lot about folks in the workplace. But I wanted to bring in um, your young adult nonfiction book, You Are More Than Magic, which, by the way, I just gifted to somebody the other day. Um, And so, and I think it's important too to write to start younger, right? Like to instill some of these ideals in younger um, folks, younger women. And so what led you to want to now to to write that book for, for young adults? And why do you think it is important to reach young girls with your message? Yeah, well, thank you so much, first and foremost. <laughs> but, uh, you know, You Are More Than Magic is really special because what I realized as I was writing these books, you know, for more seasoned, uh, you know, women and in, in our peers and allies and leaders, I thought, you know what, what did little Minda need? She needed to hear some of these things at 14, at 13, at 18, at 21, how to use her voice, how to have difficult conversations that, you know, she is her best advocate. And I didn't want to wait for our young girls um, to hear these messages before they get to their first job, right? I wanted them to be able to, why they're in their coursework and why they're with their, on, you know, at gym class or wherever they're at, that they're advocating for themselves, that they don't shy away from it. And even if their parent or guardian don't have the tools to have healthy conversations, that they aren't, their voices aren't diminished, right? That they're learning the tools that they need each and every step along the way. And so I I just wanted to be able to give back in that way because we see that this younger generation, they're so fearless and using their voice. And so I wanted to be able to give them the tools so that they can be, you know, guided in the right way so that they're, 
even more fierce when they reach, you know, their first, you know, full-time jobs or get to college. I just felt like it was important to invest in them in that way. Right. And then also to know, right, when they get to that first job or whatever, know what to accept and not to accept, right? Know they know their worth, know who they are and kind of um, not like we we have to had to do and kind of figure out like, oh, no, this is not for me or this is not I'm not being treated right. So I really I love that. I love that. I love that. So I'm going to um, start winding down, Minda, and I feel like you've shared a lot of it, but I want to and this is always my closing question for my guests. And so what's your me power story? So in other words, in what ways do you hone into your innate power? Uh, this is such a powerful question because um, I think for my me power is my vulnerability, my voice, right? I, I used to be one of those people that when I entered into the boardroom or the office, I just want to sit in the back. Don't call on me. <laughs> just let me be here. And I realized that, you know, we all have a voice. We just have to decide how we want to use it. And it doesn't mean you have to be the loudest in the room or the quietest, but you have to use it to your authentic way. And so for me, my me power is being Minda. And I think that many of us sometimes through social media or, you know, just social uh, norms, you know, status quo, we think we have to be somebody else. And once I realized that I didn't have to be like the Joneses, I could just be like, the heart that I am, uh, it gave me the power that I needed uh, to do the work that only I can do. And so I, I hope people will lean into who they really are. I love that. I love that being just your true authentic self and not even worrying about what others or what others think. And listen, I want to be in the back of the boardroom, not saying anything <laughs> either. And just for even me doing this season of the podcast, Binda, is like, I'd rather be behind the scenes, but um, they they got me out in front, but I. Well, I'm glad I, you're here. I'm here to good at it. <laughs> Thank you. And so, um, this has been a really great conversation. It was such a joy to have um, this conversation with you and just learn a little more about you and um, to be able to share that with our listeners. And so, I thank you for joining me today. Before I close out, I just wanted to ask you, is there anything that you wanted to say? Because I feel like sometimes, you know, you may wish like, oh, I wish I said that. And Marisha didn't ask me that, so I couldn't say. <laughs> so is there anything you want to share before we close this episode out? Well, again, thank you for having me. Big fan of the work that you all do at the Winners Group. The only last thing I would say, one of my favorite authors and activists, uh, she's now an ancestor, but her name is Audre Lorde. She said, mm -hmm. beware of feeling you're not good enough to deserve it. And I just want everyone to know that they deserve humanity, equity, dignity, and respect in every space that they enter. So thank you so much again for having me. Thank you. I love that. That is a beautiful way to end it. And folks, that is a wrap for this episode of From Empower to Me Power. Join me next time as we further explore the differences that make a difference when it comes to BIPOC leaders. And until next time, stay me powered.